Hello and welcome to the Matt Belair podcast. As an explorer of the mind and world, author and coach, I have spent a lifetime learning how to push my limits and achieve my highest potential. My mission is to bring you the most inspiring, conscious, and empowering teachers, leaders, and thinkers on the planet. To bring you stories, lessons, and messages that will help you master your mind, body, and spirit. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Good day, beautiful podcast family. What a privilege and honor to be with you again. We have a tremendous episode for you today. We have Debbie Augenthaler on, and we are talking about how to deal with death, tragedy, grief, and loss. It's a very powerful episode, especially if you are going through that, if you've been through that. Uh, In this episode, we talk about um, why people don't talk about grief. Uh, Debbie's own experience of losing her husband. Uh, Why grief is an active word. Um, Grief as a linear process. Uh, We talk about a lot of things. We talk about how rituals can help, how we can overcome grieving, um, grief as the hero's journey, um, honoring the person's life, finding perspective that allows freedom and connection, and so much more. So this is a very practical episode. I know that you're going to like it. If you do enjoy it, please take screenshots, share it on Instagram, Facebook, all over the place. That really does help. Um, You can also leave a review in iTunes. Thank you, everyone who's done that. That helps as well. And um, Patreon. Thank you so much to my Patreon. Um, I want to thank Adele Walker for contributing. I really appreciate it. I'm not sure what happened over Christmas, but uh, a lot of people fell off. They probably spent a lot of money on the holidays. So I was like, oh no, this is an ideal. This has been helping. Um, But I do appreciate everyone, even if they contributed for just like $1 for one month, it it does mean a lot. Um, So thank you guys so much for contributing because the Patreon saving my butt here and there. So thank you very much. Um, it helps. Um, but the best thing that you can do if you want to support the show is do one kind act today. If not, do three kind acts today and do it for a week and take the kindness challenge. And once it's done, let me know what your experience is. Um, many people who have had it have very profound experiences um, because it is an energy. It's really spirituality in action. So I implore you to uh, do the kindness challenge and let me know how it goes. Um, I want to thank my new partner podcast sponsor the Himalaya podcast app Uh, they're a great way to listen to podcasts to find new podcasts it's free it's super easy to use I'm over there so when you when you go over to the Himalaya podcast app make sure you give the master mind body and spirit show a follow and you can find them at h-i-m-a-l-a-y-a so thanks to them for their support Um, also for those of you guys who've been inquiring about coaching and you want some coaching I have opened up to more coaching in the past I've done very little coaching because because of time constraints. Um, and now I'm opening up and I'm figuring out new ways to support more people. So if you're really interested in going deep and learning how to create a vision, learning the tools to manifest that vision quickly and as easily as possible, it is a process. It does take work, but I'm going to share with you all the strategies in personal development, spirituality, consciousness, law of attraction, um, goal setting and planning, and also business marketing, entrepreneurship, and help you overcome limiting beliefs and create and design the life that you want to live. So if that sounds great to you, you can go to mattbelair.com forward slash coaching. And I'm also doing more hypnotic heart activations. It's a very powerful heart hypnosis to help you 
uh, overcome traumas, um, create a life vision, and it does a lot of things because it, it actually uses your own heart's intelligence, your own body's innate intelligence to um, help you with whatever you're going through. So if you'd like an experience like that, you can also hit me up over at the same spot. So that's it. Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you guys. And uh, let's get into today's episode and take a deep breath in. Hold that breath and just set the intention to come to total peace and coherence wherever you are. Letting that breath out slowly, coming into a state of peace, presence, contentment, inner power, empowerment, and feeling good. Ready to take on the day and get into this incredible episode with Debbie Augenthaler. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Master Mind, Body, and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. Today's guest is an author and a psychotherapist in private practice in New York City, where she has specialized in trauma, grief, and loss. Prior to becoming a therapist, she had a successful career in the financial industry for more than 20 years. She has a master's degree in counseling for mental health and wellness from the New York University and completed a two-year postgraduate advanced trauma studies program at the Institute of Contemporary Psychotherapy. She is trained in various modalities that inform a holistically based practice, including EMDR, internal family systems, sensory motor psychotherapy, energy psychology, and hypnosis. In 2012, she received the NYU Steinhardt Award for Outstanding Clinical Service. Her book, You Are Not Alone, A Heartfelt Guide for Grief, Healing, and Hope, combines her personal story of devastating loss with practical insights and simple suggestions for healing. Welcome to the show, Debbie Augenthaler. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, it's, I'm, great to ha- I'm happy to have you on the show. Reading through your bio, you've got you know, such a wide variety of training and experience and then also really tragically life experience. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting because the last guest I had on, I had a similar experience. So I'm not sure why, the, why it's happening all in one go, but why don't you give the audience a little bit uh, a background on who you are and how you got to where you are today and some of the stuff and what, why you created the book. I don't know why I couldn't answer a clear question. I was just doing some cold training. So maybe my body is still like a bit <laughs> frozen trying to like wiggle out words, but please okay. let people know a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. Well, I, um, you know, I, I guess it all really all started. Um, my husband died over 20 years ago, suddenly of an, uh, heart, they, they said heart attack. It's an aortic aneurysm. So it's sudden and fast. And I was with him. So you can only imagine how devastating that was and, and, and horrible. And, and I really thought at that time, I didn't know how I was going to be able to survive it. And one of the things, I mean, in 20, in the 20 years since then, uh, you know, cause we were both very young. So again, it was totally, completely unexpected cause he was healthy. It was a, more of a, a genetic thing. And, you know, what I learned is that at that time before nine 11, there was the grief was never talked about. And it, even now I still feel we live in a grief phobic society and people are, you know, don't talk about death. They don't talk about grief and we're not born with a mental imprint. On how on how to cope with like a devastating loss it doesn't just have to be the death of a loved one but any like major life-altering loss that just shakes you to your core 
by its very nature, right, is, is huge. And, and how do we know how to, we don't know how to cope because we want, people want to avoid it. They don't want to talk about it. It's like, oh, until it happens to you. And, and so what I found is I was, even though I'd had other losses in my life, which as a you know, therapist, I can tell you earlier losses impact current losses, but you know, it, it, nothing prepared me for this. And it was only because I had a really good circle of support that I got through it. And I also had a really great therapist who helped me. And I, I became, eventually I was in, I was in the financial world then. And I, I, that was where I'd worked my whole adult life since my early twenties. And eventually I left that and went back to, went to grad school, got my, uh, degree in counseling for mental health and wellness. I love the sound of it versus just like being a social, nothing against anything else, but mental health and wellness, you know, it wasn't just a, a thing when I, it was for also just to, uh, it was a great program. And so uh, then I got um, interested in, of course, grief and loss. I had done, I had volunteered before grad school at visiting nurse service here in New York. And I, I volunteered in the hospice area and I had a little bereavement counseling. So it just everything in the path, I think it just laid me out to, to get to this where I am standing today, um, specializing in trauma, grief and loss. And I felt all along that people really don't want to talk about it. You know, when you're going through it, like it's not like, you know, you get like three months in or six months in, like you see life goes on for everybody else. And like that immediate sense of, uh, help and support you know people are like okay it's time to aren't you going to move on or i don't know i don't really know um i could tell you so many different things i heard but you know i remember um even at uh jim his, his name was jimmy and at his wake someone said to me a woman who was very well intentioned i'm sure but she said you know you're really young you're going to meet somebody else you'll get married again I mean, that's not something you want to hear, you know, you, you just, it's just people don't know what to say. They're uncomfortable with it. And so as I started working with, um, well, as I just started moving through life as a human being, of course, people would turn to me. And especially after 9-11, I knew a lot of people who died and uh, a lot of families. And they, I was one of the few people they knew who had lost somebody, you know, somebody that they loved had died suddenly and abruptly. And they're like, how did you get through it? And more and more, I realized that just by being, by because I had survived it, people looked to me for like, well, if you got through it, maybe I can too. And I realized that I could look people in the eye, I could talk to them, I could hold the pain when for other people, it's, it can be difficult. And that's no judgment. It's just because there, you know, we do have this, I think, in our culture, there are many cultures of it that, you know, it's, it's a big community thing. And it used to be a community thing 100 years ago, but it's not anymore. With advances in medicine, with funeral homes and all that, you know, people die in the hospitals, the funeral homes take care of the bodies. I mean, we don't, we don't have the kind of cultural traditions that a lot of other places do where it's incorporated into everyday life. Um, and so if I'm going, I, I, kind of sometimes you got to steer me to keep going in a straight line because I can talk about different things. I'm like, oh yeah, then this and this and this, but I'll come back. You know, I always come back to the point. And so that's, that's what I decided to do is I wanted to help other people like my therapist helped me. And um, so I, that's why I changed everything. And then as I was working with people, I was just really well aware that there aren't many books out there that speak to the, to the person who's grieving. Like when you're in acute grief and you can't take in a lot of information and you can't 
you can't, um, there's a lot of things that happen that you don't know about until you go through it. And as when I was working with clients, I heard over and over about similar kinds of experiences. You know, there's phases and stages and all the things that we've all heard. Um, but there are experiences that are almost, I don't want to say universal, that everybody has them, but that a lot of people experience in their own unique way because we all grieve differently and we're all unique. But there's this underlying thread of them all. And so I wrote the book because I wanted to help more people than I could one-to-one -one in my therapy practice. I wanted to write a book that I could say to people, if you read this, it might be of some comfort. It's the kind of book you can put down or pick up whenever you want to. And it's the kind of book that if you want to help someone grieving, it's, it's a great book for that too. And it, I kept it very short and just, again, always to the reader. So I use my personal story of how it was for me when Jimmy died and I was newly grieving and my also the whole grieving process, so to speak. Uh, I don't like to use process, but you know, the grieving experience. And because of that, um, uh, and I also, I also on each chapter, so I use my personal story and then I also like it, I call it like a companion piece. So that's where like my being a therapist comes in, but I don't write their, you know, clinic therapeutically. I write like I'm talking to you right now, but I do that to help people understand that what they're, what they're experiencing is a natural reaction to a life altering loss. And I also offer at, at the end of each chapter, a very small you know, exercise or suggestion or something they can help. Like in the very beginning, the only thing I write is just breathe. Because that's often all you can do, right? So that's, I think, answered your question. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I love rants. They're my favorite thing. I like to sit back and listen um, because that's when really good stuff comes out and uh, you get a full idea expressed. And I think it's important you hit on a few things where um, like grief is not something that's commonly talked about, especially being a man in this culture, um, mm -hmm. feelings, you know, you're supposed mm -hmm. to just stuff those suckers inside. Those are for other things. And yeah, grief, it's almost like, not like a, like a taboo, like a dirty word or like we people, um, you know, we don't know how to like, um, handle it. You know, Stephen Morrison, that's who was just on, he wrote the spiritual workout and he went through, he lost his partner and he just talked about how people, were very well intentioned mm -hmm. and they would come up, but they, to him, what they were trying to do and show their compassion wasn't compassionate, you know, like for you saying, Oh, you'll get married again. It's like, well, I just lost my partner. It's not the thing that I want to hear right now. Okay. Um, and so what I want to do is just kind of be able to ask the right questions to help somebody who's grieving. So what are, what are some of those things in the book? And then also just so I remember to ask, and I'll do it right away is how can somebody support somebody who's grieving in a, in a way that's actually helpful? Right. Great. Those are great questions. And I, I it's interesting. You said about a dirty word, cause I actually wrote an article um, for a web. Somebody asked me to write it last summer and it's called, I, I called it death is not a dirty word. So it's funny that you said that, but, um, and in that article, I addressed like certain, I just kind of wrote what I thought were the essentials for anyone who was grieving or anyone who wanted to help. And it's it, it also, you talked about with the feelings, right? People, um, you know, we feel like we have to be stoic in our society, keep a stiff upper lip, like keep, you know, keep it inside. And I write to that in my book about how, you know, grief, because first off, grief is messy. It's hard work. You know, grieving is a verb because it's active. It's an active experience. 
and it's exhausting. It affects you psychologically, physiologically, you know, in every way. And so what people need to understand, and that can be very helpful to someone who is grieving, is that, um, you know, grief is, is a trauma. And when we go through a big trauma, our bodies are wired to respond in a certain way because the world feels scary and out of control. And so you kind of shut down. Literally what happens is our, our, when, we, when, when our bodies sense that, you know, I don't want to get into a, a, a neuroscience uh, lecture here, but when our bodies sense danger, it's how we perceive it. You know, it doesn't have to be a dangerous situation, but when it, our bodies perceive danger, the thinking part of our brain, the prefrontal cortex goes offline. So we're just coming in our, our uh, reptilian brain, the, the freeze, flight, fight response, that instinctual survival, that kind of takes over. So what happens is we can't, we're not really thinking, that's why we can't think clearly. That's why we feel like we're in a fog. Often we feel very numb and shock and numbing and shocking are gifts in the beginning because it's overwhelming. And so I think something that for people who want to help is to know that when somebody seems maybe dazed and confused, yes, but it's, it's, you can't even hold a thought. I mean, there were so many times in the beginning and for, for the, a long time that I would walk into a room with every intention of doing something and I would stop and say, what was I going to do? And I thought something was wrong with me. I didn't understand then how the brain, you know, the body, your, your body, your body's grief too. And I didn't understand it at the time. So I think it's helpful for everybody to know that's why we have all these reactions and why people who are newly grieving any huge event will seem like they, they, well, I don't remember that. You told me that. How did that happen? They might, it might seem like they're not paying attention, but it's just their brain isn't working right. They're just trying to survive on this. And at the same time, they could be very hyper vigilant, hyper aroused, you know, like uh, very, very frantic and anxious and wailing. And, and, and as we know, or you can also, you've heard people fainting or shutting down. And that's the other, you can either be hyper or hypo but you're in one way or the other your body's your body's responding that way um, and so the first thing I always say is to let people help you because you're not in your own you know you're not able to think logically and rationally often in the beginning I mean you have things you know we do have uh, it depends on your you know religious and spiritual beliefs what kind of ritual or ceremony that you'll do to honor a, a person who's died that's specifically for that but you know, with all the things that are going on in the world today, with the natural disasters and with shoot, shootings, and there's there's a lot of things that well, shootings obviously involve the death of a loved one, but like the natural disasters, the loss of everything you own, all that kind of thing, anything like that, anything that's overwhelming, people will go into shock and to grief, and well, so you think people need to be helped, and even if it's just, um, but we'll just stay with the example of someone dying, a loved one dying, because I, I really want to talk to um, what you also talked about was how you know, we have to feel people feel like they have to keep it hidden, which is, I really want to change that because I think, you know, to have loved somebody, you know, grief is the price we pay for love. Queen Elizabeth II said that, but when you think about it to, when you, when you grieve greatly, that means you've loved greatly when you're talking about someone who died. So, um, 
the first thing is to let people help you and for people who want to help, help them. And just because someone says no in the first few days, doesn't it's no for now, not no forever. Because sometimes you know you need to cocoon, you just you're overwhelmed, you cannot talk to people, but you don't even know what you need because your brain's not working right. So you know, show up. And if someone says, instead of just saying, "Oh, call me if you need something," call them and say, "I'm at the grocery store." Can I pick you up something or just show up? Like for me, people just showed up at my house and, and brought, like I had family and friends that showed up that first day, but then people were dropping off food. Um, and I had, I wrote something on uh, my social media page once about the different things that you can do. And, and people started responding like, you know, bring, bring a, a couple of bags of paper products because usually people will be coming to your house and, you know, you run out of things. But I mean, it sounds like small things, but we all want to do something to help. So that, that, those are the actual real helpful things that you can do. I tell people who are newly grieving to make a list, write down everything that you think of because you're going to forget and it's okay. It's normal and natural to feel foggy. And, um, and when people say, can I help? Here's a list. Here's what you can do, you know? And um, as far as uh, uh, not feeling like, it's like you said, for a lot of men, but I mean, I think a lot of people, like I certainly felt like I had to help held it in. I mean, it was okay for me to cry in the first couple of days maybe, but I felt um, like I, I couldn't, I I was really trying to be strong for other people, trying to show them I could cope. I was, you know, trying so hard and it's really hard. It's exhausting. You're exhausted as it is because all your energy is taken to, to exist and to take in this new information. And so then to have to put on top of it, feeling like you have to be something for someone else just isn't right. And I, I feel it's really, you know, like, in a lot of cultures, they have people wail and they have keening, you know, Scotch and Irish, but many countries. And I, I, I teach a workshop for clinicians, um, but it's for anybody, anybody in the helping profession, anybody who wants to learn more about grief and cover some of the other cultural uh, ways of grieving. And like, in, um, I think it's in China, uh, they, they, they will hire professional mourners to come and wail and keen at the funerals because it's not considered in their society okay for them to do it. So they hire someone to do it for them. And then that then it gives them permission to cry too. But um, grief is messy and grief, it should be okay. I mean, not that we're all gonna walk around wailing all the time, but to have to always try to be so strong and stoic for someone else is just at an added dimension of um, stress when you don't need it. Um, and so, you know, the other thing is to listen, let people talk about it, especially if it's something sudden, like, listen, just be there, like, listen, but don't turn away. If you look someone in the eye and just say, I'm sorry. And if that's all you know what to say, just say that because otherwise, you know, we, these inappropriate and awkward comments come up and everybody's uncomfortable, right? So it helps just to, to be like in your presence and, 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 to look someone in the eye, to hug them, to listen to them, to let them cry. And if you don't know them well, just a simple, I'm sorry. Something else that's very meaningful is to write, in a, actually write a card or a letter. I mean, you can send an email now too, but I, I just, something about having it in writing from somebody. And if you knew, like if it's somebody who died and you knew you have a story that you, you know, you know about them 
and you know you have a nice memory or a nice like he did this for me or she did that for me or I just remember how funny he was at work and da 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 you know that means a lot it's like you want to know the person you loved was was thought special by other people too and you know when Jen died um, I got so many cards and notes because he was a really great guy he was funny he was kind he was smart and he um, he made like his friends people that I didn't know very well would send me a letter and, and just say, you know, he did this, like when my, when my sister died, he called me and he said this to me, I'll just never forget it. And so I'm doing this kind of coming back to you. And so anything personal like that is really helpful. Those are just ways to help in the you know beginning. And then I would say, as time goes on a few months, like I said, they may say no for now, but it doesn't mean forever. Like people will, often become more and more uncomfortable because for them life goes on it's continued and for the griever their world's changed forever and i write about it also in my book about when somebody that was very good friends with me and jimmy he uh he crossed the street he didn't know i had seen him but i knew he saw me and i went to wave and he didn't he, he crossed the street because it was, he couldn't, you know, he couldn't, I'm, I felt like I had a disease, like grief was a disease, you know, and that somebody might catch it. And, and that's a bad feeling, you know, it felt, it didn't, I mean, I understand now, like I have distance and perspective and I understand he still grieved his, you know, his, it was a great loss for him too. But, um, you know, I just reminded people that life doesn't always go on the same. And so it, it becomes, it becomes about them. It's not about you. It's about them. That's what I say in my book. And, and um, so if you don't want to be someone like that, don't, you know, just always just acknowledge it. You can just say, how are you today? A simple, how are you today? Or I'm thinking of you, you know, just something like that. Um, so it's just, uh, and it's also important to know that grief is not linear. It's not, you know, it doesn't, it's like people think there's like a straight, straight path, like, from here to there like if we think we want to think in the stages and phases model but that's just to give us a framework and you will bounce back and forth and back and forth and all around in between and uh it's important to know that too and just because a year or two has gone by doesn't mean that someone's not still deeply grieving and that's really okay so awesome well all that was really practical and, and good in, insight, I think, for anybody maybe going through that. Luckily, I haven't had anything too crazy, just my dog, but um, I'm super soft, so I'm super worried about it, to be yeah. quite frank. And I think you brought up a lot of points that are good. Um, for the person who is around a grieving person, they just feel awkward and don't know what to say. They, you know, you start thinking about the Hallmark cards and something stoic and, you know, you got to all of a sudden be this crazy philosopher to give some sort of solace because you feel uncomfortable, they feel uncomfortable. And I think that with what you're saying and from my point of view, it's like, just see how they're doing and rather than saying something, listen. How are you? You, you? you don't need to know what to say. You're not going to know the right words to say. So that's not a part of it. But to acknowledge them and to let them know that you're available to listen, to support them and how they need to be supported. It's going to be different mm -hmm. for any everybody. I think that's a really 
important distinction because there's a lot of people out there, I believe, that are looking at someone grieving and they cross the street because they just don't know how to handle it. They want to, uh, but they don't know what to say. So I think that it's just very simple. How are you? Is there anything I can do to help? Yeah. And I, and I am so sorry, you know, and, and, and really, and, and that's really enough because what can you say? Really? What can you say? Because in the beginning, like there's nothing that's so hard to find comfort in anything. Many people feel so hopeless. And like one of the things that I hope that I can do with the work I'm doing is if I can just instill just a little seed of hope because you feel hopeless and, and nothing. And we, you know, we become childlike, in our grief, because again, we don't have a mental imprint. So when you think about it, right, you, people are like emotionally overwhelmed and nothing can be comforting to them because it's something, you know, you have to learn how to cope with. So the best thing you can do is just, it's to not turn away and like, like, yeah, exactly. Be there with your presence. And I know for me, like with my friends and stuff, I talked about it over and over and over what happened because, because I was with him and it was early on a Monday morning and it was like 530 in the morning. And, and we thought he might have heartburn. Like he didn't have anything. There was, and then he's like, no, cause it, nothing hurt, nothing. It was just the most strange thing. And, um, I just, I said, Oh, let, let's go to the hospital. Let, let's call an ambulance. He's like, no, he goes, I'm totally fine. I'm absolutely fine. And so, then he laid down and he said, I don't know. And it was just, and we, you know, I was getting ready for work and it was one of those things where he's telling me he's fine. And he's like, just this really weird sensation. He said, maybe we should go to the hospital. And like three months before that, he'd had a physical, he'd had, he'd had everything and he was fine. And um, so then I said, let's call 911. He's like, no, he goes, I'm really fine. He goes, we're going to be laughing about this tonight. And so we started, I said, all right, let's, so let, let's go now though. I mean, I, I wanted to get the ambulance. I wanted to do, you know, that. And the next, then it said, he just said, I, I feel so dizzy and he fell on the bed and, and he was dead. It was just like that. But my mind couldn't take it in. I didn't know at that moment that he had died. I mean, of course I called 911 and I did CPR and, but because of the suddenness of it, because of that, like it just, it's like, it's like, you you can't catch up with it. Like your body's like that. You just can't catch up with what just happened. Like, cause you can't take it in. And so I needed to talk about it over and over because my psyche couldn't take it in, that it happened. And so my good friends like sat there and they let me say like, it was the first time they listened, but that's something you can do too for anyone who's had like an abrupt um, loss. It doesn't have to be abrupt. I mean, any even if it's anticipated when it finally happens, people might want to talk about it. They may not want to talk about it. For me, I did. And to have people that can hold that for you and listen to it over and over is really, really helpful because you need to, to have that support. You need to be able to talk about it. And also, I wanted to say, too, the other thing is that they can, they can come up with that is like for me is the I call them the what ifs and if onlys. What if I had done that? If only I had done that, you know, the second guessing the, the, and, and it becomes this loop that goes round and round in your head. And that's a very natural experience because everybody wants to think that they could have done something. And, you know, even though the doctor said there's nothing you could have done, um, you know, it's just that's another thing that it's very common for people is to have a running loop. And that's why they keep talking about it. But that might be helpful for someone to know, too. And just listen, just listen. 
I think that's really good advice. And I like your, your what if scenario. And if only I'm sure everybody would do that. I don't know if it's like, it's going to be a natural byproduct because you would want to know that you did everything to save them or help them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think maybe spiritually level, mm-hmm. like God level, like there's, there's nothing you could do if someone's going to exit, they're going to exit. That's my personal yeah. belief. That's my um, personal belief also. There's, we all so, have our own destiny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so what I wanted to ask, cause I think that, that we're kind of leading that way. What are some healthy and productive ways to, to deal with grief? Because, you know, you're kind of, you're, you're talking about it, different cultures do different things. I think some styles might be more healthy than others. I, I, I imagine like grief or like trauma is like moving through a hoop. Like you got to go through the hoop, but what some people want to do is they want to put it over here and they don't want to kind of fully embrace that thing. And then how long is too long? So you do have people that maybe they've had a loss for, it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. It means that maybe that loss is redirecting their life now and they haven't been able to adapt to it. So it's been, let's say two years and they're still always talking about it. They still can't get out of bed. They're still not saying that's wrong. That's not what I'm suggesting. I'm suggesting that what is, what is the way, what are some practical tools that we can move through it? Because I think that psychologically, a lot of people want to avoid it. Um, they want to suppress it. They want to numb it. They want to do anything, but go through that hoop of pain. And, and I think that, you know, my good friend Anders, he lost his father a couple of years ago and he said, um, but we're, we're chatting over new year's and he's like, um, I was thinking about my, my dad the other day and I hadn't thought about him for a while and I just had a good cry. And I just, you know, for him, the way that he spoke about losing his father and how he handled it. And he's just like, you know, he just cried. He went through it. It was painful. He had like a few months of just really like grieving, you know, some days were better than others. And then flash like a year later, you know, he, he gets a, thought comes up, thinks about his dad, a beautiful memory comes up and he just allows that emotion to come through and just come out, you know? And, and I think that for me, from what I've observed in people grieving and how they process it, um, I think that that's important to allow it. Those emotions come up, but men specifically and probably women too, holding them down is probably not the most healthy ideal way. So maybe you could just take my rant to give some practical tools for, once you kind of get out of that first stage of like, you know, just barely getting out of bed, what are some practical tools for moving through it in a healthy way? Right. That's not such, such a great, great um, observation and point because you have to move through it. You have to go through the pain. You have to, if you don't, if you do push it away, it will come back in other ways and it will interfere in how you are in the world. Right. And how, how you heal however that looks, as much as you can heal. And what you're talking about, if somebody is still in bed, you know, two years, and it, you know, it's called complicated grieving. And that, because it's, it, because it's complicated, right? But like, if you, if you're, if you can't function, um, you know, socially or psychologically, emotionally, because of that, I mean, one of the things I think it's important for it's interesting, because I'm going to say this, and some people will say they disagree with me, but I, I feel, I was told when my, when, when Jimmy died, I said, my great aunt said to me, you know, the pain will never go away, but you will learn how to live with it. And for me, the, the pain has lessened and I've integrated it into my life. And I'm now at a point where, you know, I can hold 
still have grief, hold grief in my heart, and also great joy. Like it doesn't, but but there are still those times when I get pain, when I, or, you know, it, something will happen and I'll, uh, I get tears in my eyes, still fresh, you know, and, and, and of course from 9-11, all my friends that died then, and, and but the, you learn how to live with it. Because I, I went to therapy and I, I had a lot of, I was able to talk through with friends and I, I, I let myself have my feelings. Like I really, even though I said, you know, I was trying to put on work and stuff like that, I, I, but I would go to the ladies room and cry, you know, when I felt like I had to, I would. And I, I, and I, and I would suggest to somebody to, if you're going back to work after you've had a big loss, is to talk to your, the, you know, people you work for your immediate boss, depending on the size of your company, and just say, look, I'm going to do the best I can. You know, my head's still foggy, whatever. I, I, I really feel that a week is way too short. A lot of places only give that. There should be just like, you know, you're not, you're not even anywhere close after a week. So if you have to go back, just, you know, let your, the person in charge know that, look, I'm, I'm foggy. I'm going to do the best I can, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I might be forgetful. I might be this or that. And if I need to take breaks, can you, you know, in other words, ask for compassion. And I think if you do that in an honest way, most people want to be compassionate. And, um, and if it's not, if it's not a choice, um, then you'll have to find a way that you can, you know, give yourself time before or after, but you need to feel your feelings. Cause if you don't, you're going to, it's going to become complicated. And, um, I, what, to your friend Anders, you know, obviously, like in the beginning, we're all going to be like that and everybody understands that. But, you know, on the anniversaries and things like that, it could be like a five-year anniversary and, and he could, you know, I, I don't know, but like you can have beautiful memories and be, you know, be happy in your life and, and be happy, you know, you'll, you'll start to change and, and think, you know, like you said with his father, these beautiful memories, they're such a gift, aren't they? And you can start seeing them for the gift they are. And like, if he had a close relationship with his father, like that's a gift too, but that comes way, you know, that that's part of the healing process, but you have to go through it. You can't just push it aside. And a lot of people do, but then it comes up in other ways that can interfere in your in true happiness again. Did that, did that answer? You want, but you wanted yeah, some more no, tools. And so I was trying to, yeah practical with saying, you know, work, let them know. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that is a really good practical tool. So yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. I would love more tools, but one thing I wanted to kind of share was like, it's almost like a reframe. Like how do you, you talk about in the book or uh, in, in the title anyway, um, uh, from a guide to grief. And I was thinking about, maybe it wasn't this, it was, um, I'm mixing the two, but getting to a state of like gratitude. So yeah. I just know for me, that if I die and my mom is going to be sad, I've told her this directly. It's like, don't be too sad because I'll haunt you. And I'm yeah. joking. But what I'm telling her is that like, I'm infinite. I'm totally fine. You're going to miss me. And I know that. And yeah. I'll miss you too. But like, you know, don't, don't like celebrate my existence. And so I wanted to kind of just share something that I thought was really cool recently where people are talking about celebration of life. Mm -hmm. It's yes. really great because like, for me personally, if I die and, and everybody throws a party and everybody gets together and they're happy, that's great. You can be sad, I'm gone, no problem. Um, but celebrate the life you have. Celebrate the memories we had. Celebrate um, your life, you know. Celebrate who is around you right now. And so, how you know, I know that's a lot. You're not going to think that probably for a while out. 
Um, but it's just like a little bit of a reframe. So that's like a helpful tool is like, you know, like if I lost somebody I loved, you know, trying to remember the times I was grateful and all the memories and would I not want them because they were gone because I love them too much. You know, it's a, it's, it's challenging, but like really just trying to appreciate what that person thought of you honor their memory. And so it's just like a reframe. So I'm just curious, like tools, something along those lines. It's the only one I got. Absolutely. That's why what uh, a lot of times, I mean, if they call it in, um, people have wakes or viewings, but you know, in the week of the, usually of a funeral or a burial, there's some kind of get together, right. And people share stories and, and that's why people put pictures out and all that, but you, and, and there, it's a time of laughter and tears and sorrow and, you know, but, but yeah, celebrate, celebrate someone's life. That's what we did with Jimmy. We celebrate, I mean, it was a funeral, but we certainly celebrated him and his memory and uh, funny stories. And so at the end, at the day of the funeral, like there, like that night, there was, there was laughter and tears and tears and laughter. And, you know, and that's, that's wonderful. And, and, um, but yeah, I think the reframe is, is good. And I, and I do, as you, I, I certainly believe spirit lives on. And it, you know, but that, not that it was so comforting in the beginning, but I write about signs. And I think that um, a lot of people don't even talk about that. Although a lot of people have signs from their, you know, someone they love and it's really important. And it's, and so I, like, I felt like I couldn't talk about the ones I, re- I was getting because people would think I was crazy. And, you know, and I only told a couple of people and then it wasn't until when I was, you know, more and more as the years went by, people kind of talked about it, like, eh. and then when I started writing the book, like, because I had over and over, people would come into my office and say, this kind of happened. Like, is this like there, because people think that something's wrong with them, because again, no one talks about it. And so I'm a big, I, I say all the time, I encourage everybody to look for signs, you know, let small miracles help you cope as you heal, heal and adjust to your life. I mean, and there can be signs, you know, you, of course, people talk about butterflies, they talk about all kinds of things, dreams, everything. And there's a, a lot of literature written about it. So I don't need to take up, you know, our time here about it. But I think there's a lot of comfort to be had in that. And, um, and that shows, like you said, to your mom, I'm infinite, right? Because we, we just, it's, it's, you know, but we, we, are, we are spiritual beings, but we're human beings having, you know, we're spiritual beings having a human experience. So you are going to grieve as, a, as humans and you don't want people you love to leave. But I, I do believe that lo- I love, I always say love lives on in your heart forever. Like it there, your love is alive with somebody no matter where they are. And so that is important and I think can be comforting. And it also something else that's a practical thing to do, but kind of is, goes along with this is, um, you know, we develop rituals that help us feel connected and with someone we loved that's passed. And, and so uh, rituals are very comforting and they offer a way again, to, to feel your feelings, to feel the pain, to grieve, but then to able to go on and you can continue to honor someone you love. You know, you can, it's as easy as if um, you, I don't know if they were, if they gardened, you can, you know, you, if you plant a tree or do something like that, but you know, uh, I, I would light a candle. Seriously. I got, I bought a really a beautiful white candle and I would light it at night. I would light it on anniversaries, but sometimes I would just light it and think it was like, I'd watch the flame and I would feel like some, you know, I was just kind of bond, you know, talk, not talking, you know what I mean, communing with him. 
And it, it's so, and I'm not embarrassed to say that. And I, tell, I encourage you with anybody, whatever resonates for you. It could be carrying a special stone or a shell or something from a beach that you both liked or some a trip that you, you're out in the mountains and you get a stone that you like and you, it, it reminds you of them and you carry it around. I mean, anything that offers comfort. The rituals, doing rituals can be um, a way to feel through the grief and get to the other side. But then, so then you're, and then you can, people um, have built, this is how change is in the world too, right? They, they've built uh, foundations, started charities, you know, the parents of Sandy Hook children, they went to Congress to testify for gun control against gun laws, the Parkland shootings, the teenagers there. I mean, all the things that these people do um, that, that come out, and they're, not that they're rituals, but they're, they're things that you can do that can honor the person you love, that can help you get through also, because you feel like you're doing something that is honoring that person who has passed that their lives meant something, not just to you, but it will help others too. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really good advice as well. And kind of the way my mind has been thinking about this is gets a little bit deeper in the sense that like, I think that we all struggle with our um, mortality. You know, some people are afraid to die and they think that you just die. Some people are uh, afraid of that and they're really religious, religious. And then there's something that's going to happen um, after death. And I've studied a lot of religions and I think that um, I'm okay with whatever you believe. That's what I've come down to. And I think that it really, what are the, what they, what people want is like a surety of an afterlife. And so when you lose somebody and you're not completely certain that they've continued or you're going to continue, or it was a righteous life, or like you could be a Catholic and then um, that person lived in sin, maybe they were gay or maybe some other rule or whatever, then maybe they burn in hell. That would be pretty messed up. Um, yeah. There are all these different scenarios um, that people can believe in. And when they believe in them a hundred percent, that can cause real grief being here. And mm -hmm. so my mind is just, and this might be a bit of a rant, but it's just what's coming up. But when you talked about like those signs, when my aunt passed last year, um, she would always say, that when you find a change or a dollar, it's, it's your spirit guides. She would always say that when she was living. And all of my sister, my family, uh, my mom had all these weird experiences with change. And I was walking through the airport and I called my mom. The second I called her, um, she picks up, she says, hello. I look up, it's a super busy airport. And there's a dollar right in the center of like a super busy spot. And it was, I looked at it I was like, that is a weird spot for a dollar. So I was like, Ooh, a dollar. My mom's like, do you just find a dollar? I was like, yeah. She's like, awesome. I was like, what? She's like, that's aunt Susie. And so, you know, whether those are real and connected or continuous random circumstances, what I just would like to offer to people is like, it is my firm belief that no matter what you believe that we do continue in some sort of capacity spiritually that they don't just, die and they're gone forever and neither do you no matter you know if you believe in a certain thing and you don't believe that's true I'll, i'm just gonna say my belief is not the same as yours and that you're eternal and um you can find some comfort in that and even if you have just this one life and you're grieving somebody you love celebrate those memories that you had with them And if you want to honor them honor them with having the best life that you can and honor the memory in like you know ways that you've just suggested and maybe you have like light a candle in their honor every now and then um, but I think that if that person loved you they would want to have 
for you to have the most extraordinary existence possible, that they would want you to live your life. They would want to see you. They wouldn't want to be on the other side watching you struggle and grieve and be sad and just be decimated by their loss. Like I just imagine that's what I, I give that example to my mom, you know, I say a haunter and I mess with her because I just, I'm just like, I'm kidding. Like I want you to be happy and I'll help you from the side. That's what I want to see. You know, I don't want to see, you know, I know you're going to be sad, but like, that's what I want to see. So that's a a side note. I don't know. Maybe you can just talk about that. Absolutely. Well, you know, it's, it's so like, see, like you're talking about experiences, right. Of grief that that's why I wrote the book because in my book, I, I actually, I have a chapter and it, that's what it's exactly talking about. It was like, it, sometimes it was the darkest night, right? I, it's like a gift of grace came in there because I was really in a bad, bad place. Not, not suicide or something like that, but I just was, I was tired of it all. It had been, it was six months and I, you know, you have that magical thinking that, you know, it's going to come back. A lot of people do. I mean, Joan, Joan Didion wrote a book, the year of magical thinking precisely describing you know this idea that you think that it's going to stop it's going to change it's going to go back and and that's the wishing and pleading and and hello you know but i was just i was at that point and i was just tired i'm just like i can't believe this is going to be like it, it's really happened like this is it and um i was miserable and i still went I and mean, i was going to work i was functioning you know but and people did not know inside and one thing I wanted to say just quickly before I forget, the, because I got, I really want to say if somebody's having a really tough time, please seek counseling. That's another way that can prevent complicated grieving. Because if you go to a therapist or a counselor, they can help you work through the feelings, right? So my therapist at the time knew, but I was like, I feel like I'm just putting on this mask. I'm a robot going through the motions. And I just don't, you know, I just, this is just not what I wanted to be doing in my 30s, you know? And so um, I don't mean in my 30s at all. This is not the life I thought I was going to have. Like it wasn't just losing Jim. It was losing the life I thought I was going to have. It was losing the children I thought we were going to have. It was losing so much stuff. And anyway, and one night I kind of, I walked into our home, which was now my home. And I just was like, I, I just don't want to do this. And so I, I just sat down on the floor. Like I just didn't want to go up the stairs. And, and I had this moment that came in and it was just like, this this message loud and clear that was like you know you're really not honoring jimmy here are you <laughs> not like somebody was talking to me but you know it, the sudden realization and i realized like jimmy would hate for me to be this miserable he would be get, like get up get you've got to stop it's enough you know and when i realized that like i realized that to honor him and to honor our love and to honor like who he was in my life and the person he was is i needed to like I needed to get up and get on and, and start the hard work of finishing my grievings, you know, moving through that. No, I don't want to say finishing my grieving. That was a bad choice of words, but you know what I mean? Like you have to, yeah, it's, he would hate for you to be this way. And then when that clicked in, when that, like, I was like, it, it just shifted everything. Like talk about a reframe. It shifted everything for me, but I was like, okay, I need to honor him. And I, I, this is not, and I, he, I, I loved him. He loved me and he would have been miserable. He would have been angry with me to be that miserable. So I, I it's exactly what you're saying. And it's, it's, that's a great, um, it's a great thing to remember and keep, and keep saying that to your mom. <laughs> so, you know, if that were to happen, hopefully it does not, but 
Um, and I wanted to say one more thing too about energy. You know, we are energy, and it's a it's a, a it's a law of conservation that energy doesn't end; it just transmutes. I mean, you know that, right? I mean, so where does all that energy of a human soul go? It doesn't end. I mean, that's just really my belief. It, it has to go somewhere. It doesn't, because it's a law of conservation. Talk about science. We were talking about science briefly before we started here, but I mean, I didn't make it up. <laughs> so it's been proven. And I, I think that's important. And so I felt very much that um, he, he had something to do with like kind of nudging me along, like, come on, enough's enough, you know? And it's not like I woke up the next day and I was suddenly like, oh, everything's great. It was still a long, arduous thing, but, but it, it just really reframed things. And that's how I've kind of led my life, you know, since then is I really want, you know, to honor who he was in my life. I mean, I'm very happy now and I whole whole different life. Right. But um, he will always be a gift in my life. And so, um, and uh, yeah, I wouldn't change anything just to have the time I had with him. You know, I would do it all again just so I could have had the time I had with him. Hmm. Well, you said a lot of beautiful stuff there. Uh, there's a lot of things I want to chip in, but as I listened, they just kind of changed a little bit. But we were both talking about um, the work of Evan Alexander, and you know, he's a former was he a neuroscientist? Neurosurgeon. A, he was a neurosurgeon. neurosurgeon. Yeah, and he was super right. Right, left brain, left brain, logical, left analytical, brain. just yep. make sure it's everything is dotted the T's, has this experience and everything changes. And, you know, you know, one, and the other thing that I was going to say too is, um, you know, if someone is grieving and they're like at the bottom of the barrel, you can see a therapist. I think that's a good idea. No problem with that. I also think you can see a good friend and have mm -hmm. the um, courage to ask them for a tea or for a beer or for yeah. something because yeah. your good friends, they might not know what to say, but these are people that have known you their whole life and they're not there to tell you anything. I don't think a therapist is there to tell you anything. I think right. mostly they're there to listen. Mm -hmm. And that person is going to be able to support the container. But I do think that a lot of people do not use the incredible people that they have around them that know them, that love them, that support them. And I think that it's because that person doesn't want to feel weak or they don't want to let them in, but use that as an opportunity for a close loved one or something to have an opportunity to just share. I think right. just talking about it in an open, not judgmental space, no matter Absolutely. what it is. And someone who knows you can provide that. And, I, and if you want to see a therapist and you want professional help after it, or both, no problem with that. Get it all. Um, right. But I do think that having that um, bond with somebody that knows you, to just hold an open, loving container, a compassionate container. And I think you can ask them, someone yeah. that you know, hey, I would love to chat. You know, I, I would just love to hear what you think. You probably don't have the right words or the exact words. That's not what I'm asking. I just want to, you know, talk about what I'm going through. Can we meet? And so you're going to have that bond and, and, and increase the connection with somebody who's in your life living now. You know what I mean? And so you kind of get a bit of a double whammy. So I just wanted to um, use that too, because I've seen a few circumstances where I don't think people use their internal resources as much as they could. Um, right. And then the work of Dr. Eben Alexander in this life after death thing, um, 
you know, sometimes I get challenged on the podcast on how to speak about this because of um, studying different ideologies, philosophies, views of the world, religions, um, going and traveling around the world, going to a lot of different churches, mosques, um, talking to, you know, rabbis, priests and everything. And what I see is just different systems of perspectives. Nobody knows for sure. Not That's one right. person has been able to prove anything. I've had experiences in my life that you could call them multidimensional. You could call them God. You could call them spiritual. You could call them Allah. I don't know what you would call them, but the logical mind cannot can't comprehend that. And that's why I know that I, I move on. It's just like, oh yeah, you keep going. And so I think that looking at your perspective of life and what you believe of death, I know a lot of people who are religious who have a near-death experience are no longer religious. They become a lot more spiritual and they let that religion go. And I think that it's just a perspective, not to say that any religion is wrong, but I do see a lot of philosophies out there that, that make the death process much more painful because of that belief. And you can, have the same, you can have a different belief or at least open up to an idea that adds a little bit more wiggle room. So you can keep your belief, but you can also add like a, maybe like a side note or like a sidebar. Um, but you know, don't feel like bound to one belief or one ideology because the thing is at that level of life beyond death, nobody knows what's no. going on here. Nobody actually knows what's going on. And that's what happened to Eben Alexander. He was a, about as smart as a human as you can get neurosurgeon. You know, that's about as smart as it gets. Then all of a sudden universe, God, the force yeah. comes in is like, all right, child like you don't know anything it's like holy crap i don't know anything yeah, know. and you know what i mean I had this incredibly humbling experience but that allowed to open up to another level of freedom and i think that if you're bound by a perspective whether atheist or anything or just whatever you've learned or your where you brought were brought up in the world doesn't matter what it is if 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 death and grieving and whatever happens after causes you pain and confusion and all of that, you know, seek and seek a way in an understanding with that force that feels aligned with you and open. And I think that in spirituality and in consciousness and in grief and in anything like that, there that's for me, you can find that in your own way, in your own truth. And it'll, it'll happen like that, knowing that happened to you. It's mm -hmm. for you, you know it. Um, and that is like the higher force, whatever you want to call it, but you have the right to connect to that. And then that's going to be that seed for that little bit of expansion for understanding that there is something beyond this, that you do matter, that you are connected to, to the whole universe and everything beautiful, that you're not alone and getting to those real deep spiritual insights, because it can be, um, I'm just thinking about somebody at the very bottom, you know, yeah. like which pit of despair. Well, you know, look, it's like, you know, grief is, I, I do um, also, you know, in addition to teaching the workshops, I, I teach uh, an online writing group, I'm writing your grief story, but it, with um, my writing mentor, and, and it's based on the hero's journey, because grief is really the hero's journey, right? And in every hero's journey, you have that, you know, where you're, you're coming out of the ashes moment, you are just at the, the pit of the pit of the pit, right? We, and that's the dark night of the soul, whatever you want to call it, but we all have that experience and in, in the grief process. And not, and not, I shouldn't say, some people will say, no, I don't, but I, there are people that, you know, that however you grieve is right for you, but for the majority of people, 
that you'll go through. It's if you follow the hero's journey, right? <clears throat> Where your whole life has changed and now you're at that point and then something brings you back up and it's this force. And then you're you know, determined to, you know, remake yourself or, you know, go forward and, and, and you are changed. You know, you are changed. You, it's like, it's why people use the butterfly so often because, and why I do also, because of, it's the, it's the, you know, a butterfly, the caterpillar, when it goes hang upside down on the twig and it cocoons itself, you know, all, everything, all the tissues and everything inside dissolves. The only thing that stays the same is the cells. So the cells then shape into a butterfly and the butterfly emerges from the chrysalis and it's, it's, it's a whole new creature that came from the caterpillar. So that's why it's this process of you know, grief, healing and transformation and why the butterfly has like been used since ancient times to kind of sig signify that. Because when you have a big life altering event, I mean, your, your cells are still the same, but you know, you change, how can you not? How can you not change? You know, and hopefully you change for the better because when you've been through something like that, I mean, one of the gifts is like that you grow in great compassion. Like you want to help others, like because you know now. And like when you say call your friend, when you're in that place, a lot of people don't because again, not growing up in a grief phobic society, we're taught like oh don't like yeah you know don't share that with somebody else because people think like something's wrong with them. Are they right? And then nothing's wrong with them. They're just having a human experience. And so to be able to learn that it's okay to reach out, it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to have these feelings and to share it. And that, like I started off when you said, what's the number one thing someone, or, you know, what's, what can people do? Let people help you. Cause in the end, don't we all want to help each other? I mean, I hope so. You know, if nothing else, like if we help each other, and then, I mean, because love connects us all. That higher source you're talking about, whatever we want to call it, whatever name anybody has for it, it connects us all. It's in all of us, I believe. Yeah. Yep. I agree with all that. And I think it was very uh, beautifully put. Um, I think that all this was really um, helpful and practical, you know, like it, it because even like we're talking about God and we're also talking about grief, you know, this is something that I haven't experienced directly. I can only imagine like what kind of psychological tool or ridiculous words I would give to somebody in the moment of grieving in the first like day or week. There's just like, there's no words you can put to it. You know, it's something that you're going to experience as your contract of, of being human. And actually I'm thinking about something Steven said yesterday about like, accepting total responsibility for everything in your life. And when you, and he said, I expect, I accept total responsibility for coming into life and everything that experiences here. And death is a part of that death and life and rebirth and all of that. So it's, it's not a pleasant part, um, but it does make it uh, really precious and really beautiful. And it should be a reminder of how precious our life is, how precious existence is to look at what we're doing and what we value. And I like how you, you know, use the example of um, opening up to compassion. You know, you have a greater capacity to experience compassion and then help your fellow man. Like the Dalai Lama always says, like, you know, if you can help your fellow man, if you can't, at least try not to hurt them. And so yeah. doing those simple things of, of being aware, lending an ear, coming over with a little bit of food or some toiletries or small mm -hmm. things that people might not be thinking that's a part of being human too. That's a part of the, the process. And 
the last thing I was thinking of just like when you said at the beginning that grief used to be a community thing. And so I think that we're in our society today, very disconnected in, a, in just so many different ways. And, uh, you know, I think about you know, the studying I've been doing with the Native Americans and different tribes and things like that. And just like how grounded and it just makes sense. It's just like, this makes sense. Yeah. What we're doing does not make a lot of sense. No wonder we're so psychologically messed up because mm -hmm. we're, we're more in, involved in a fake world now. And I, I really had that epiphany the other day when I was talking to having a podcast with David Lombard. I was like, oh, shit, we're more in the fake artificial world than we are just communicating. People aren't looking at each other in the eyes, then alone if it's a challenging experience. And so this, this kind of thing allows you to be more human, more vulnerable, more humble, um, and just give you a reminder of, a, hey, like, what do you want to do with this experience? What's important to you? Who are you? Um, how do you want to honor that person's existence? So. That's right. just a rant, but um, I just wanted to give it yeah. back to you if there's anything else, like as far as tools, insights, or stories that you want to share. Um, you know, gosh, I, I don't have, there's not, there, I could talk for hours and hours. I mean, I did, like I did, just, I said, I just did a four hour workshop and I'd be like trying to stuff in all this stuff. But, um, you know, I, I think, uh, I think, you know, I, there other thing, there's a very, um, on my website, I offer for free. It's just right there. You don't, it, it, it's, um, uh, there are four like little techniques that you can do if you're feeling, cause part of, you know, anxiety is inherent when you're grieving. It's like, it's, a, it's like goes hand in hand, right? You're feeling anxious because everything's changing or stressed or whatever it is, but there are four little simple things to do. Not little, they're short and they're easy. They're like two minute long videos, maybe two and a half minutes. And there's four separate things. And I call them tools for your toolbox, but you know, I've learned them um, from energy psychology and other things that you can do in the moment that can help you if you're feeling stressed or overwhelmed. And they're, it's super helpful. And so I would offer that as a practical tool. One, one, there's, there's, there's four different ones. One comes from EMDR, one comes from energy. It doesn't even really matter where it comes from. What matters is that it helps and it will help most people in the moment. So you can go on there. Um, my website is uh, debbieaugenfeller.com and it has that on, you know, it's, it's just a great thing. And I offer it for free because I feel everybody should have access to things like that, that they can do in the moment. You know, when you're having a hard time breathing, just to remember to breathe, you forget, you forget to breathe, right? And you, we know how the value of a really great intake and, you know, and inhale, exhale, and do that a couple of times. And it helps to ground you and bring you back into your body. So these very simple exercises will help you bring you into your body, help you it will calm your nervous system down. Because it's, it's really not good for us when we're shooting, you know, stress hormones all through the body all the time. It's not good for your immune system. It's not good for you to constantly be in that state. So it's hard to tell someone when they're newly grieving something, Oh, you know, here's something to help you calm down. But it also, if they can learn one thing that can help them breathe in the moment, it gives them back just a teeny little bit of control, doesn't it? In a world that feels out of control. So if you know you can kind of soothe yourself when you're starting to have a panic or anxiety attack or just, you know, overwhelmed or I just want to feel like I'm back in my body. So I, you know, I, would, I offer that because they are actual, you're, you're saying practical tools and that's what popped in is I have those. And I also have a, a guided meditation. It's a progressive muscle relaxation called Healing Light on there. And um, it's great. It's uh, very helpful. 
Awesome. That sounds good. Yeah. And I think that'd be great for anyone going through that, just having four practical tools. So you said one of them is breathing. Do you want to share one clearly just if someone's listening right now? Cause I'm assuming that there'll be a time someone's listening to this podcast and they're yeah. right in the middle of the shit. And for them, so you have the my compassion. One? I mean, yeah. there's, I can show you, I can show them all to you. They're so simple, but yeah, the yeah. breathing one is simply it's counted breathing. And um, you it's what's important is that the exhale is, longer than the inhale so i use a four two six like you you inhale for four to account of four you hold for two exhale to account of six and hold for two and then we do that so i can do that with you and if you google it you'll see a lot of people talk like four seven eight but it, what what's important is that the in because in your how your body takes it if the exhale is a little bit longer so i like to think that i'm breathing in peace or calm, and then I'm exhaling negative energy or anything that no longer serves me. And so we can do it for three rounds if you want to do that right now. Yeah, sure. Why not? Why not? I this love breathing exercises. What? I love breathing exercises. Okay, great. So this is, it's very short and simple, but if someone's watching right now or listening, then they can do it with us. So if you're comfortable, close your eyes and I'll count for us. And just remember to breathe and um, calm and exhale negative energy. So Inhale, two, three, four, hold, one, two, exhale, two, three, four, five, six, hold, one, two, inhale, two, three, four, hold, one, two, Exhale, two, three, four, five, six, hold, one, two, inhale, two, three, four, hold, one, two, exhale, two, three, four, five, six, hold, one, two, and then take a deep breath in and out. So do you notice the difference just with that little short exercise? Yeah, definitely. I think, um, yeah, it's really good. Um, one thing I want to ask, uh, is it in through the nose or mouth? Is it okay either way or is there a preferred way? Um, I think you know, what I do in the room is I, yeah, to breathe in through the nose and exhale through like... Like if you can do that, I mean, it's, it's great. And if you can do it for a longer time, if you can, you know, have whatever's comfortable for you, you're used to doing breathing practices so you can, you know, do it longer and, and the longer you can do it. But if you can do it for like five minutes, it makes a big, huge difference. But if you can only do it for three counts, three rounds of it, just do that or even once, but just that idea. But the more you do something like um, the other, the other thing I really like, cause you can do it anywhere is, um, is a, this, it's a hand clasp, it goes like this. So you, your palms are together and you'll inhale and then you'll go one direction and, and go like that. And then you're gonna inhale up and you're gonna go the other direction. And, and I count, it's a, a count of five, right? So you go up, two, three, four, five, one direction, down, two, three, four, five, up, two, three, four, 
five, other direction, two, three, four, five. Now, if you do that many times, like do 10 or 15 times, you're going to definitely notice a difference. It's a left-right kind of thing. But what's so great about it is that once you practice it and you do it several, as many, like I said, several times, eventually your body is going to remember. Our brains have plasticity in it. You're always building new neural pathways. So if you do that often enough, your brain will remember. And you can be like I live in New York, so there's a subway, or you can you could be on the subway. You could be at a family dinner, and like like you know how they can be sometimes. Underneath the table, you can just go like that a couple of times, and nobody will know that you're doing it. But your body will be like, oh, that's right, and it will start to calm, like almost on its own. Like you'll remember to breathe, and and that memory that you've built in by practicing this a few times, several times, will you can just all you have to do is do that a couple of times when you're you know out and about and you can't just sit and practice it it's really great well what you said before i think is really important where you said that the breath is the one thing that you can control and that's why it's timeless you know like breath breath work or understanding is important and you don't have to do anything crazy it's just that you know when you do like a box breath or a, or a number like a little bit longer out or things like that it doesn't exactly there's not like one right way that's the only way forever the idea is that you're just becoming conscious of your breath and that resets what your body's doing so you can go through that stress situation anxiety you know there's just general life but if it's deep grief you can still do that but it's like you're integrating almost like what's happening it's just like, yes, I'm still here and I'm still present, but I'm also controlling what I can. And the body is essentially processing that because um, I heard this a long time ago from Unity Grace. I really liked it on the podcast where she said that like all of this stuff that's coming in, that's the contrast, that's the hard, hard stuff, you know, the, the grief and the challenge and the loss is what's that's the fire that burns away like the physical body in the third dimension to get to like a higher enlightened state, like your fuel to propel you kind of deal. And um, whether you go full metaphysical with it or not, that's up to you. But yeah. I just like the idea of um, like alchemy is, is for real. The example of alchemy is, yeah, it's led to gold, but it's actually a process of self-mastery. It's taking the lead of all of life, all of the frustration, all of the challenges, all of the pain. Like we got it pretty good. You go back a few hundred years, not that, not even. You can go back fifty, few hundred, you know, few hundred more. This is friggin' terrible out there. You know, diseases <laughs> and like chaotic war, medieval times. It's still chaos now, but like at least it's some what refined chaos. And I don't know. You go out slower. Like it was awful back then. So you're constantly dealing with trauma. And so if you can just learn how to process that better, overcome it, and then use it as fuel to, to direct and empower where you'd like to go, you know what I mean? To see a perspective in it that empowers you. And you got to find that, whatever it is. Um, or you let the external world defeat you. And I've heard of some people come over, you know, overcome extraordinary loss. Like uh, Wayne Dyer talks about this girl um, in, that was in Rwanda. And uh, somebody, I, I mentioned it before, they told me her name, I forget her name again, but this woman that was in Rwanda when it had the massacre and she was hidden in a bathtub with like 12 other people, all of her family died, every single person died, she, she was hiding in this uh, tub and she remembered like at one point she heard them knocking on the door and she could feel like the knife going in her, she just imagined it, she's like, I could actually feel it like for whatever reason, but it was at that point I had the greatest compassion for the people who were 
doing all of this stuff. And I was able to get to a place of authentic forgiveness. And I thought that was so frigged up, but you can see when she's talking about it, that she's not kidding. Like, what would that scenario force you to do? You know, it's, it's like the most ruthless, awful thing, but the person that survived it came out with some sort of like incredibly powering, empowering perspective that she can share with so many other people that make these little molehills what stops them. You know, she could let that experience end her life and it not be worth living and nobody would falter for it. That's okay. That was a really messed up thing. If that's how you want to react, like I'm not even going to give you a hard time. That was super messed up. Um, but if we can find a way through our grief and our suffering and our loss and our challenge to empower ourselves to just get to the next step, you don't need to know all of it. Just get that's yourself right. to the next step. Step by step, absolutely. And I always tell people that too, step by step, baby step by step. Sometimes it's you know, two steps backwards and then two steps forward. You know, you're kind of like, I'm still here. But yeah, just little steps. That's all we can do, right? Yeah. But awesome. it's taking that next step. So it's getting there. Yeah. And even if it's yeah. like, yeah, even if you do it ugly and terrible and it takes you two years and you're going to get out, just keep getting, you know, you'll get yeah. there. That's right. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to thank you for coming on and for your work and for writing this book, for recognizing that there's not a lot of literature and practical tools and something that is so common um, mm -hmm. for the idea of making um, uh, grief an okay process to talk about, make it mainstream, mm -hmm. make it, uh, redefine how we're culturally thinking about that, I think is really, really important. So thank you for that work as well. And um, is there just anything else that you'd like to leave the listeners with or share before we close? Um. You know, if you, if you, I guess, visit my website, if you want to, you, know, you can check out my part of my, uh, uh, there's, I write, you know, I have a, uh, I send out like a bi-monthly newsletter, but I have a lot of writings and things about grief on there and different kinds of uh, situations and events in your life. And, and I write to a, a broad spectrum about uh, different things that can happen in grief and healing and hope. And, uh, yeah, there's a lot on there, and there. Uh, I think it's a uh, uh, like I said, the tools are on there, and so uh, yeah, please visit. And if it moves you, sign up for the newsletter because I love sharing a lot of stuff that I learn, and uh, I write every like I said to, to something like you know going back to work or with children in grief and that. But I always try to have you know some hopeful stories in there too. So uh, and things I've, in, in the newsletter, anything I'm coming across that I think is interesting that um, can be helpful. I always share stuff like that. Because um, I, I think everybody should know this stuff. Yeah, I agree. Thank you. Thank you. I agree. Well, thank you for your work. And I appreciate you coming on and sharing. Thank you, Matt. And thank you for all that you do and getting the word out there. My pleasure. All right. Well, all thanks right. for coming on. Thank thanks you, so everybody, much. for listening. All the best. Big love. Bye. Bye. All right, guys, that wraps up that amazing episode with Debbie Augenthaler. I hope that you found it helpful, enlightening, and it can support you if you're going through a process like that or you know somebody who has just had a loss. Um, my condolences to you, and I hope that this show was able to help you. Um, if you did like the podcast and you want to support, shares, reviews, and iTunes, Patreon, all helps tremendously and is appreciated. Um, and yeah, 
If you want to support The Best Thing to Do is One Kind Act, and we'll just leave it at that. I want to thank my sponsor, partner, Himalaya Podcast app, and uh, just all of you guys listening, leaving reviews and supporting all of my love, respect, admiration, appreciation. So before we close it off, let's have a deep breath in through our nose. Hold that breath and just let it out slowly with all the self-criticisms, the self-judgments, coming to a state of peace, contentment, wholeness, and empowerment, ready to take on the day. Have an incredible day, and I'll see you in the next episode.